Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is back from his... um, time away. If you follow him on Twitter, you know he was out in the Rocky Mountain area, Denver, Colorado. And Jim, my only question really is, every time you decided to go somewhere, whether it's Red Rocks or the Avalanche game, did you look at Mrs. Garrity and go, let's ride, like Russell Wilson? <laughs> no. Uh, I think the lesson <laughs> is don't be Russell Wilson in in, uh, in Denver. Also, like it's very unusual. Like I, I grew up in the New York area and as a Jets fan, and so I'm used to like a town having like two teams, and the fans of those two teams hating each other. And whenever I go to another major city, it's only got one big team. It's kind of fascinating to watch the entire city completely identify it, and everybody's wearing the paraphernalia and everything. And watching the local news, it was like this is the week the Broncos are going to turn it around, right? Right? You know. <laughs> There was desperation in the eyes of the weatherman. It was kind of an unusual... It had nothing to do with weather. It was entirely about how the Broncos were going to do. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. But the Rocky Mountain areas, uh, Denver uh, and the surrounding areas, absolutely gorgeous. Had a chance to be there in the late 90s, and I'm guessing the Rockies look pretty much the same. And if they do, uh, you certainly had a wonderful time with the views out there. And so um, while you were gone, Jim, I went to a uh, Washington Capitals hockey game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And a little bit of hockey broke out uh, between the fights. Uh, <laughs> these two don't like each other very much. Good fight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Capitals won handily on Friday night when I was there, and then the Lightning returned the favor on Sunday. But I was there with my um, my lawyer friend from uh, Kentucky, and uh, uh, while he was in town, we also watched this Netflix show called uh, Movies That Made Us, and one of them is Die Hard, and I learned some interesting background details about Die Hard. But later on, I, I, for some reason, I Googled Bonnie Bedelia. As we all know, for those of us who love Die Hard, she is Holly Gennaro McClain, the wife of Bruce Willis's character John McClain in Die Hard. Jim, do you know what her real birth name is? I have no idea. It's Bonnie Bedelia Culkin. Her brother is the father of Macaulay Culkin, who, of course, plays the kid version of John McClain in Home Alone. <laughs> So I have long people have all long joked about how there's got to be some connection between those movies because of the similar theme, the dynamic of the lone hero surrounded by enemies using traps and ingenuity and all that kind of stuff. And I tried to start the rumor that the bag lady or, or the homeless woman who is the supporting character in Home Alone 2, one of the few holiday sequels to feature a future president, <laughs> yes. um, and that you know that, that she's in this background when they're racing through Central Park in Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's not actually true. I just wanted to start that rumor just to see if I could, you know, <laughs> get some sort of like, you know, uh, a cinematic universe connection between those two films. But I like your connection even better, Greg. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what else to make of it, but uh, that seems to be a, a little too close to be coincidental. But, um, you know, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. And so Home Alone's the kid version of Die Hard, and they were talking in this film also, you know, Speed is Die Hard on a Bus, Cliffhanger was Die Hard on a Mountaintop, so you know you got a really good movie, really the greatest action movie of all time when everybody's trying to copy you. So well done, everybody. All right, on to our uh, good martini today. we got good, bad, and crazy, and this is still a qualified good because I don't think it's official yet, but NBC is projecting that the Republicans will, in fact, Take the House of Representatives. I got to be honest with you, Jeff. For most of this weekend, I was thinking, we're not even going to get the House here, are we? But then we got some ballot drops and. 
couple of Arizona congressional districts, and things are looking better in a couple of California House districts, which are taking an insane amount of time to count the votes. I'm not saying things aren't on the up and up, but the system should be much faster in counting the votes on this. But nonetheless, they're now saying it's probably going to be about 219 216 for the Republicans in the House, which is going to lead to complete chaos in the race for Speaker, perhaps, uh, and what the Republicans can actually get done. But the good news is, is that they should, assuming the Speaker and the Majority Leader are competent in any uh, moderate way, of stifling the worst parts of the Biden agenda over the next two years. So if we're going to take any sort of really thin silver linings out of these midterms, hopefully this projection is right. Yeah, look, if it, you know, I don't want to say we're reaching for a good martini because it would definitely be better to have a Republican House than a Democratic House. But as we see these uh, fewer and fewer races in play, the counts finish, winners get declared, the size of that majority for either party is going to be pretty small. And it, yes, it looks like I think the best case scenario remaining for Republicans would be 222 uh, as the majority. And you figure there's a chance that, you know, one or two of these or maybe three of them don't shake out the way they're supposed to. 222 is probably the limit of when it becomes manageable. You can afford to lose four, maybe guess five uh, on, on any particular given issue or vote. I think you're going to, you know, I, I think less than that. And it's not that the House is paralyzed, but it just means that you know, a handful of members saying no or, or, you know, deciding to vote with the Democrats on that particular issue means you're going to lose. Um, I've seen Eric Erickson floating the idea that whoever becomes speaker has to basically have a much lower profile than usual. You have to let the committee chairs, you know, handle their business. You really can't enforce your will. You have to be a conciliatory consensus builder. And, you know, I, I had a chance to get in touch with Kevin McCarthy's guys, get a sense of what their plan for the next couple of months was going to be. I think that's all up in the air. Uh, very much depends on what gets done in the lame duck section and whether you're going to have the votes. I still have It still doesn't mean this is meaningless because the Republican House still has the majority, still runs the agenda, still is able to bring stuff to the floor. And I think pretty importantly, we'll still be running oversight hearings. And that is something that obviously Republicans have been licking their chops on for a good while. So, look, oh, there's no getting around it. This is a massive disappointment. I don't know if I actually wrote this, but I'm pretty sure at one point I said... Uh, the Republicans will win the House if they don't trip over their own shoelaces. Well, <laughs> they they almost did, but it looks like they're going to have the House, and that is a much better outcome than not having either chamber when all is said and done about the 2022 midterms. Yeah, it's better to win than not win, but it's going to be ugly, and I'm not sure how much they're going to be able to get done, especially on a party-line basis. I mean, uh, trying to keep 219 people in line with the different factions they've got coming into this House of Representatives would be crazy. And there's already uh, talk about uh, whether Kevin McCarthy will actually end up as Speaker, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But the other side of this, of course, is that in 2024, assuming Biden is the guy and uh, for the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi yesterday sure seemed to be helping him clear the field by saying, oh, yes, he should run again. He's been a fantastic president uh, now that these election results are in. Um, you know, when when the agenda grinds to a halt, he's going to be able to point potentially, if this projection holds up, to a Republican House that's thwarting his agenda for the people, Jim, uh, rather than being able to uh, really not have anybody else to blame because, you know, his party controlled everything like it did for the first two years of this administration. So, you know, it's hard to know exactly what the issues will be and how much uh, uh, blaming he's going to be doing here. But um, historically speaking, does that work? Well, Greg, we thought Democrats were going to get a lot of blame for the state of the country in this midterm election. <laughs> and we saw how that shook out. So I, I don't think we can really have a good sense of how this would play out 
two years from now. Um, it's odd that Americans would be frustrated by divided government, considering how frequently they end up voting for the divided for divided government. So I think they have this ideal of um, both parties kind of, you know, rejecting the fringes and working together and being pragmatic. And that always sounds really good. I, we saw the comment from President Biden saying that after the midterms, what are you going to do differently? And he said nothing. So I don't think you'll see a dramatic change in the tone of Biden. I don't think he doesn't certainly doesn't feel chastened. I think Democrats feel like they won these midterms, even if they end up losing control of the House. And obviously, I don't think Republicans believe that, you know, giving Biden and, uh, and the Democrats more of what they want is going to help them either in the 2024 election or the state of the country between now and then. So honestly, I, you know, I, I'm not quite at the, you know, Mr. T and the Rocky movies. My forecast is pain, but um, I don't think we're going to be in for a particularly smooth uh, next couple of years here. No, it doesn't seem that way. But uh, I'll tell you what you don't want is chaos on the business front. Because if you do run a small business, you need to know who's running your HR. And if the answer is, oh, I'll figure it out myself or no one, remember that one employee complaint can really turn your world upside down. But HR is not just about avoiding risk to your company. As a business leader, you also need to do right by the people you employ. And that's why you need Bambi. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses like yours so that you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. First, Bambi's HR autopilot will automate your core policies, workplace training, and employee feedback. Then your dedicated HR manager will help you navigate the more complex parts of HR and guide you to compliance, available by phone, email, or real-time chat. An in-house HR manager could cost you up to $80,000 a year. But with Bambi, your dedicated HR manager starts at just $99 a month. No hidden fees and cancel anytime. Go to Bambi.com slash martini right now for your free HR audit. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash martini. Bambi.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to the bad martini now. And this happens Every time a party has a disappointing performance in an election, be it a presidential election year or uh, a midterm election year like we're having now, it's time to reevaluate potential recriminations. Should leaders stay on if results were more disappointing than expected? And we're seeing this on both sides of Capitol Hill for the Republicans, because over the weekend, of course, we now have projections that the Democrats will hold at least 50 seats in the U.S. Senate which means that they have the majority thanks to the vice presidency. Uh, and if Warnock ends up defeating Herschel Walker, it'll be 51-49. If Walker wins, we'll be right back where we were at 50-50. And so as a result of that, and some candidates not being happy with how Mitch McConnell spent his PAC money, see Blake Masters in Arizona, among others, um, they want new leadership. Marco Rubio of Florida seems to be positioning himself, saying they should hold off on uh, leadership elections, at least for a while. You pointed out today in the morning, Jolt, they should at least hold off to find out if Herschel Walker belongs in the in the room and, and, and participating in this vote. McConnell, I assume, is going to uh, try to hold on as leader. And my gut instinct would be he probably still has the votes. But uh, Rubio would be an interesting successor, I think, to, to Mitch McConnell. Uh, on the House side, Kevin McCarthy certainly has uh, thrown his hat into the ring even long before we had this projection on the House side. Uh, some folks in the Freedom Caucus are blanching at that, but I haven't heard of an alternative name, which is kind of a familiar theme when we've had uh, challenges to the likes of John Boehner and so forth in the past. So, uh, Jim, losing is not fun. A lot of finger pointing happens and leadership and both uh, sides of Capitol Hill, no exception here. So 
what do you make of it and what do you expect to actually happen? Well, I find myself in the weird situation of <clears throat> agreeing with one side of the the party that is you know very frustrated with the leaders, Mitch McConnell and uh, Kevin McCarthy. I very much believe, no, you should not hold your elect your uh, party leadership elections until you've resolved the counting in the actual elections. Uh, you mentioned Herschel Walker and the runoff. You know, look, it's December 6th. It's not forever. Still gives you a month to prepare for the beginning of the next session. That strikes me as, you know, um, plenty of time. And then the next thing is that, you know, we still are we're still counting votes in the California. It's going to be a while. It, until we get some of these last couple of house races be, be, be done. How'd you like to win your your house election? And then feel very strongly, either you know, for Kevin McCarthy or for there is one declared or at least uh, strongly, you know, indicated uh, challenger. Uh Andy Biggs of Arizona, he's chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. I don't know if your, you know, the House Freedom Caucus's leader is gonna be able to speak effectively for the whole, you know, uh, the whole caucus. You still have folks like Brian Fitzpatrick. This is not the Freedom Caucus and the broader GOP are not necessarily the same thing, but he's got a right to run, and he may well, you know, run in order to demonstrate that McCarthy doesn't have the votes. Having said that, in with both McConnell and McCarthy, if you want, you know, saying I'm frustrated with our leadership is only half the story. You then need to say I don't want Mitch, and instead I want blank, and blank could be Marco Rubio. That would require Marco Rubio to say yes, I want to be Senate Minority Leader. Uh, I haven't heard him say that, and I don't. I haven't seen any really strong signals in that direction. Although who knows? Maybe there's enough people who are disgruntled by McConnell. And as I said, Biggs does not seem like a natural successor or a natural alternative. We'll see how things shake out. I heard a couple of people arguing about Scalise or something. Most of these guys have said they they want you know House Whip. They have other positions in leadership that they are kind of in line to step into. And that they expected to. And now maybe in the next couple of days, somebody's mind changes on this. Maybe one of the reasons some people want to have these elections as quickly as possible is they feel like this is going to you know, catch fire over the next couple of days. That having been said, one, I don't think Mitch McConnell is the primary reason Republicans didn't win the Senate. He spent a ton of money to help save J.D. Vance in Ohio. And I'm looking at the, you know, these Senate elections. I mean, Donald Bolduck lost by nearly 10 points. Right? That comes out to back of the envelope math about 55,000 votes. It's not like a couple million, you know, another 2 million, 3 million, 4 million in attack ads would have suddenly generated 65,000 new votes for Don Boldick. It's a very similar story out in Arizona. Blake Masters, I'm looking at the count right now with 93% of all votes reporting. Uh, Masters is down by like 130,000 votes. And that's, you know, that's not under, you know, hidden somewhere. That's not a matter of, oh, we run, if we ran, only run a few more ads. There were tons of ads. And, you know, like also like Blake Masters is sponsored by Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel's got money. He could have spent more to help him out. Like, I have a very hard time believing that when a candidate loses by, uh, you know, five points, ten points, something like that, it's just a little bit more money would have made that much of a difference. These were flawed candidates and it caught up to them when the Republican Party could, you know, could uh, afford it the least. So you add up to that. I don't think McConnell's the fault for the reason that they lost the Senate. I don't think McCarthy's really the reason they lost the House. I'm not saying these guys are perfect. I'm not saying that, you know, every decision they've made has worked out well for the party. I do think that you need a better, you know, when the Jets fire a coach, I always want a better coach. You know, going from Todd Bowles to Adam Gase is not necessarily an improvement. So <laughs> if you want somebody else, you have to have, A, have somebody who you think would genuinely be a better leader of that caucus. And then B, that person has to want the job. Otherwise, you're just kind of wishing for, for some Republican to run. So, um, you know, I, I have no reason to rush these decisions. 
But I'd kind of be surprised if we ended up with somebody besides McConnell and McCarthy leading Republicans on Capitol Hill next year. Yeah, you need to kind of get your candidacy going uh, long before uh, the disappointments of Election Day. I mean, Mitch McConnell has been Republican leader for 16 years now. That's quite a while. Um, And I was curious as to whether he would still want that job if he stayed in the minority. Uh, because remember, he had the Kentucky legislature change the policy for how a resigned U.S. senator, uh, how that vacancy would be filled. That seemed to be a fairly clear indication that he might not want to fill out his term, but maybe not. Maybe he does still want the job. It seems at this point that he does, since he, um, you know, orchestrated how he how he spent that money. So uh, if he still wants the job again, I don't see how he probably doesn't have the votes. But we'll see if he gets a real challenger. So far, he's never really had a real challenger that I know of. I mean, these sorts of elections don't happen on the Senate floor like they do for Speaker of the House. These happen in uh, Republican conference rooms uh, behind closed doors. And so we never really know what the vote count looks like. But as far as I know, he's never had a serious challenger since taking over for Bill Frist back in 2007. So uh, we'll find out. And again, um, the Republican, uh, the Speaker vote could be interesting. I mean, when Republicans had a much healthier majorities than 219, I still remember uh, Eric Cantor, who was then... um, uh, majority leader getting really, really mad with some folks in the Freedom Caucus not voting for John Boehner, who ultimately got the Speaker's job. But uh, this time, you can have one defection if it's 219 to 216. And uh, so, unless they get this all sorted out behind closed doors, it's going to be really, really interesting. All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And as we've already alluded to, uh, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock are headed to a runoff because in Georgia, you got to get to 50% plus one. And neither of them did that, thanks to the Libertarian and some other minor candidates there. And so it'll be one-on-one, the only two you can vote for, December 6th, and whoever gets the most votes will win. We saw this in Georgia before, uh, after the 2020 election, when both Senate seats went to a runoff and Democrats won both of them. And uh, a lot of folks believed at the time that President Trump's complaints about the voting in Georgia and Arizona and a couple other places around the country cost him the election. And then other people believe that that complaining cost David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, their Senate elections, which gave the Democrats the majority in the Senate. Some people are worried that will happen again. Other people are really excited that this could happen again because, of course, tomorrow night, Trump is supposed to have this major announcement from Mar-a-Lago, and just about everyone expects it to be him announcing that he's running for president in 2024. However, Lawana Heard Tucker, she is chair of the Fulton County Democratic Party, that's the Atlanta area, telling the Washington Times... Please, Lord, let them do it. Let him do it. So basically, the Democrats are saying if Trump announces that's going to be all the political world is talking about, that's going to motivate Warnock voters more than Walker voters. And therefore, it's an advantage to go to a 51-49 Senate. Whether their logic is correct, uh, it makes for curious timing, just like we talked about with leadership elections. I don't see why this stuff can't wait, Jim. Yeah, there was time in the beginning of the 2008 cycle where announcing your campaign in January 2007 was seen as insanely early. Well, we're not we're not even to December, never mind January, and Trump wants to announce it. I think the politics for them for him are terrible. Uh, he, we just went through an extraordinarily disappointing midterm for election for Republicans. A lot of Republicans blame him. They blame candidates he supported, uh, candidates who were able to develop an identity separate from him. The Brian Kemp's, the Greg Abbott's, the Ron DeSantis's have all done very well. I kind of wonder if this is a I don't want to say a panic move, but like. Clearly, from the way he's raging on Truth Social, Trump is outraged that there are so many people who are talking up Ron DeSantis as a choice, and he's going off, basically frothing at the mouth, you know, contending that 
uh, Glenn Youngkin's last name sounds Chinese. Yes. Um, I mean, that's where you want to, you, you, he, he should be on medication or something. Somebody should, you know, seriously be examining him for head injuries. And, um, but he wants to do it. You know, again, I don't, I'm, I don't, I didn't feel good about Herschel Walker's chances as is. I, I picked him in a runoff, but I kind of figured that control of the Senate or expanding a narrow GOP majority would be at stake. Uh, and that would motivate Republicans to come out and vote. Obviously, you know, Herschel Walker had his abortion uh, controversies. I think that, you know, if you feel like, well, control of the Senate is at stake, it makes it easier for a pro-life Georgia Republican to hold their nose and say, you know what, Herschel Walker is going to do what I, you know, going to vote the way I want him to. I'm not going to worry about that stuff in his past so much. In this environment, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if uh, if uh, Georgia pro-life Republicans feel quite so motivated. I think, if anything, they're going to probably feel a little disappointed, dispirited, frustrated that they didn't uh, win, the, win control of the Senate when it was a 50-50 split. Does this mean everybody's going to stay home? No. But remember, this is a very close race in uh, in the first round. I imagine it'll be close again, but it could be decisive. Remember, you know, Warnock had to lead there. And just throwing Trump into it, again, this just, you know, uh, heightens the motivation of, uh, of of Democrats in that state even more. I don't know if it'll necessarily depress Republican turnout unless Trump goes on some rant about how all the elections are rigged, et cetera, et cetera, which knowing Trump, you can't rule anything out. They say it starts early, Jim. Mid-November, November 15th, I guess, officially. Uh, if, in fact, this is the announcement, that's got to be a new record. And uh, we need to rest. I mean, we got to at least get through the holidays uh, before we worry about the 2024 cycle. But apparently not. Apparently not. We'll, we'll find out officially if that's the case. Because there were a couple of times during the uh, run-up to the midterms where it, it seemed like he was about to announce even before that election. Uh, and then he ultimately uh, didn't make the announcement. So we'll find out. But... Jim, welcome back. Hope you've adjusted back to Eastern time, and uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Thank you very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. They're a huge help to us. They really, really make a difference in the search engine optimization department. Um, also, uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Do not forget about Jim's brand new novel, Gathering Five Storms. Also, the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil, uh, perfect gifts for the holidays. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Monday and join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Mock and Daisy from Chicks on the Right join me to discuss the frustrating midterm elections and why single women are now overwhelmingly backing Democrats. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, we'll also talk about the hypocrisy of the Democrats on the economy and why the left wants to rip apart American families. Join me. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.